Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise podcast with Moira Kassaba. And today it is with the heaviest of hearts that I share this episode with you with the one and only Mr. Dave Hollis, who so prematurely passed away last week. And this episode was um, on the schedule for about a month from now. And I woke up you know, the morning after I heard the tragic, tragic news and, um, and just knew that I wanted to share this conversation with you guys as soon as possible, because it is his light. It is his wisdom. It is his laughter. It is his legacy. Um, it's such a beautiful conversation about his journey, his story, a journey of self-love, integrity, You know, we talk about getting outside of your comfort zone, growth, all of the things. You know, Dave has been a friend to me and a mentor and somebody that's always been there to have a conversation, to lend advice. I just, there are few people in the world that I feel like lead with as much integrity, grace, humility, and vulnerability as, as he did. And, um, and the world needed it and we just didn't get enough of it, you know? And this, uh, news when I got it came on the same day, the day before Valentine's day, which was actually Dave's birthday, but it came on the same day of my anniversary of my sister's death. And so I was processing a lot of grief when I found out this, you know, death, early death is just such a, it's such a crazy thing that someone is here and then they're gone and you can have talked to them just days previous. And it's, it is absolutely a shock to the system. Um, He touched so many millions of lives and what I want to impart to you today, what is on my heart and what is just on my mind in this heavy, heavy, heavy season is, you know, I keep thinking of Wayne Dyer, don't die with your music still in you. And Dave did not die with his music still in him. He made a hard and heroic choice to leave, you know, an industry that he felt, you know, wasn't serving him anymore and stepped into something completely wildly new and, um, you know, again, outside of his comfort zone. And he found his way. And through that beautiful leap of faith, he touched millions of lives. And I just can't help but think it is my biggest, you know, driver in life to champion people to, to do what they're called to do, to step in to the unknown, to step through the fear that we all have these amazing dreams and these amazing gifts and talents. And so often our talents and our so-called superpowers, they're not honed until we step into the unknown, right? And it's all waiting for you. I have 
you know, so many experiences I could share of my own life that, you know, these crazy leaps of faith that I didn't know where they were going. I didn't know where they were going to lead. I didn't have the skill set. I was not yet equipped. And somehow it turned out better than I could have ever fathomed. And that's my message to you today. To I just want to encourage you. And what I say over and over again is listen to the whisper. Go where you are called. We have no idea when life is going to end. No idea. No idea. And, you know, this tragedy is, you know, fuel for me, I think, and I hope it is for you that life is short and, you know, we've all got work to do. And I believe that God needs us to, to heed the call and, and to step into that and, um, and do what we're put on this earth for. And it can be scary and it can be hard, but I just want to encourage you in that today. And of course, encourage you in immense, you know, prayer and space and grace for Dave's family. So with, um, with that, let's tune in. Well, Dave, I am so excited to have you. I have been a fan and a follower for a long time, and I've watched this crazy, amazing life of yours unfold. And I feel like we probably have a lot to talk about because I too am, I am not like a social media stalker by any, (laughs) so I don't know everything, you know, but I'm fascinated just because you have had to walk through some of the biggest things. And I've seen you go through these changes and these periods of growth. And I've seen you kind of pull back from social media a little bit. And I like, I can relate, you know, I can relate some, I can't relate like on the level that, you know, the things that you've had to walk through in the public eye, but I almost want to pull back and go, can we like start from the beginning? Can (laughs) we Like, I want to know the story from the get go. Like you're married, you're this business guy, suit and tie, corporate America, and then like we could even start before that, you know, you take it away though. I want to, I, yeah. I just love to hear the story and kind of how you've grown through all of it and the the ups and downs and all arounds. For sure. Well, I mean, I spent about 20 years with the time working in entertainment. Mm-hmm. I started at 20th Century Fox working in research. Then I moved into publicity. I went to a talent agency where I was managing talent as we were trying to either break a show or break a product that was related to some company that was on the roster. Uh, I worked in a marketing firm for a little bit of time, and then I found myself at the Walt Disney Company. And I spent 17 years worth of time there. First 10 years, man, my professional ADD was satisfied on an annual (laughs) basis. Yes. 10 jobs in those first 10 years with 11 bosses. Wow. So there was always something new, always something interesting, a lot of challenge, which was great for growth. Mm -hmm. And then at 35, I found my way into the head of sales for the motion pictures group in the studio. And so for the last seven years of the time that I was there, uh, I looked after global distribution for Walt Disney Studios. 
which when I first started, it was Disney and Disney Animation and Pixar. And then in uh, in order, uh, the acquisition of Marvel Studios and the acquisition yeah. of Luke, Lucasfilm. And so um, with, a, with a distribution deal with Steven Spielberg's DreamWorks. So there was this kind of golden age of cinema, especially inside of movie theaters before the disruption of COVID, before yeah. the disruption of streaming with just the collection of the greatest intellectual property ever pulled together wow. by any single studio in the history of the movie business. And I, I had an experience in that first few years that was drinking out of a fire hydrant. It was just yeah. so big. I, I had been given this opportunity before I got the big job to be an apprentice to a person who'd been in the job for like 30 years. Wow. And it was given to me with the, the kind of the pretense of, hey, if, you know, for the next three or four years, you don't mess anything up, you listen close, you, you know, learn as much as you can from this person who's been here forever, uh, then you'll be a candidate to take his yeah. position when he decides three or four years from now to leave. And about six months in, he went home for Christmas. One of his kids had just had a new grandbaby of his, and he has this recognition that, man, I've achieved what I need to inside yeah. of this job. It's time for me to move on. And wow. I have every confidence that you can take my job. I'm going to make this recommendation. And so I found myself in this job now where I was wildly out of my depth. I just, wow. I hadn't worked inside of sales. I hadn't worked in the movie theater business for more than that six month window of time. And my job was primarily managing stakeholders, whether yeah. it was studio executive stakeholders, filmmaker stakeholders, the clients that we were selling movies to at the movie theater, my teams around the world, 72 countries. And um, how old are you at this point? So I was 30, I got the job at like 35, 36. Okay. So pretty, you know, like clearly young, yeah. um, but particularly young on a relative basis to the person who was running domestic or the person who was running international. Mm -hmm. They'd been in the job for 25 and 28 years, respectively, when I got the wow. job. So they got the job when I was 10 or when I was yeah. you know, eight. <laughs> and so, crazy. yeah, but the, the idea of walking in and telling them how to do their job was ridiculous. That was yeah. you know, really not going to be the thing that I was there to do. My job was to understand the ways that they might have something, you know, kind of get in the way of them doing their job well. And me hopefully preempted by right. having a conversation with a filmmaker or with an executive or with a movie theater operator to clear some of the way for them to do the thing that they knew how to do well and get out of their way. Wow. Um, but also the uh, the interesting thing for sure was now I'm you know tasked with walking in and having a conversation with filmmakers who for the past three decades had become super familiar. Right. With a guy who looked like Wilford Brimley and they had, <laughs> you know, a ton of time golfing with uh, an amazing right. guy named Chuck. And here I am tall, 36, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> cute as can be in terms of my age. But uh, also, <laughs> why the heck would we listen to you, tall, young? Right. Human being? Well, not... and we know that at our age now, because I think we're similar ages, 35 seems young. So like to our age now, that would be almost like an 18 year old walking in. You oh, know, yeah. that's oh, yeah. crazy sure. to think about. Yeah. I still remember one of the last meetings that I had, I wrote about this in a book, but one of the last meetings that I had before Chuck left, 
we were meeting with Johnny Depp and his team to talk about where we were going to place a Pirates movie on the calendar. Part of the job of this sales role, you pick where you're going to put the movie on the calendar. And we're sitting in this room and I have prepared so like up and down yeah. all of the merits of this summer blockbuster date. It's a date that anyone could sell because it is just one of the very best dates on the calendar. Of course, it would need to be because we're talking about a Pirates movie. Yeah. And I give them the performance of a lifetime in explaining every single merit to every single detail of why this is the best date of the year for their great movie. And when I finish, I, you know, hold back from doing jazz hands. And <laughs> the elder statesman in the room was his attorney. And he says, uh, well, Chuck, what do you think? And Chuck says, well, in my business, this is a good date. And every person in the room was like, sounds good. <laughs> and what I realized in this like humbling indoctrination was it was going to take a ton of trips around the sun for yeah. me to get to a place where I could walk into a room of people and say, this is a good date. Yeah. And have them on my word, accept it as yeah. the truth. And so... Um, I had to I had to do a, a, a bit of pivoting. I built a, an analytics team. Math now was going to become the inoculator for experience. And um, over time, right, those first few years, drinking out of a fire hydrant for sure. Yeah. But uh, after we had success after success, after the math as opposed to the years of experience was proving to help them have optimal results for these huge risks that they were taking creatively. By the third year, the fourth year of those seven that I was in that role, some of the drinking out of the fire hydrant was now pressure turned down. And in a world where we had just this extraordinary amount of leverage with Marvel, Pixar, Lucas, yeah. DreamWorks, Disney, Disney Animation, negotiating really great deals yeah. for the studio was a thing that, of course, was easier because of the strength of that intellectual property collection. And so um, I started getting, as I described, straight A grades without having to study for tests. Right, right. And right. so there's something that starts happening inside when I don't have to work as hard to still be super successful. And the spoils of that success start to feel different because there isn't as much energy or effort that's required to pull it off. And I stopped growing. And yeah. so the end of growth starts and then manifesting in just a dissatisfaction. There's a lot of privilege in this. Trust me, I had a great job, great access, yeah. lots of money. It, But it didn't matter because those things as advertised weren't filling me, weren't making me feel the things that I'd hoped to feel. And so I had to make a change. So I that think I that, that privilege, as you said, that almost makes it harder. I think it definitely makes it harder because you're in this situation where you feel guilty or you even feel shame around I'm not motivated or I'm not passionate or I'm not excited to wake up and go do this thing that I get to do every day because it's not a challenge anymore. Like I've been there in my career and it is one of the trickiest, hardest places I've ever been. Yeah, well, one, break out the smallest violin possible to play me a little sympathy song because <laughs> obviously ridiculous. This is the highest class problem in the world. And yet it was a real problem for me. Yeah. And what I had to confront was I was now going to make a decision to leave a thing that made sense to every single person operating inside of that structure 
that then had me, one, concerned, what might they think of me for deciding to leave yeah. a thing that makes sense to them and you know a move that may not make sense at all uh, in what I want to go pursue. Um, but beyond that, I was now challenging something that they had put so much of their own faith and trust in by questioning if it was really the answer that uh, everyone ought to be looking for. Um, so I ended up making this leap, a big, yeah. uh, crazy move. Uh, Rachel and I at the time uh, had had conversation for plenty of time about this possibility of taking her strength as a visionary and some of the strengths that I had as an operator. There's a great book called Rocket Fuel that talks about like this come together of these two mm -hmm. parts is the thing that any company needs to take off. And so we make this decision, let's move our family from Los Angeles to a little town just outside of Austin, Texas. Let's decide to work together, operator and visionary, and see if we can't take this thing that she'd been working on uh, for like nine years or so at that point yeah. and turn it into something that could have impact. And so for me, like the pursuit of impact was really the biggest catalyst beyond yeah. uh, I want to try to go do something that probably will be hard because I don't exactly right. know how to do it in the hopes that the uh, tension that it creates and the pressure that it creates and the failure that is inevitable in what comes next produces growth. And maybe in the production yeah. of growth changes a little bit of how I'm feeling about the utility of my gifts. And isn't it crazy that people like you and I pursue that? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy, but we, there are certain people like that entrepreneurs, you know, at heart, it sounds like you've been an entrepreneur at heart, whether you knew that or not in your other roles, it's like, that's what we seek. That's what we need. And our soul is truly not satisfied without that, that challenge, but we always have to be reminding ourselves that within the challenge it's really freaking challenging, but we're growing, but we asked for it, you know? Yeah. Well, I do think that there's some blessing in not having full awareness of what it is that you are committing to jumping into. <laughs> yes. Because if like, you know, if, if I'd have known all of what was going to happen in the next five years, five years ago, I'm not sure I make the move. I, you know, I mean, yeah. like spoiler alert, we'll get there, but um, I left the Walt Disney Company on May 30th of 2018. My wife and I at the time had a conversation about divorce on May 30th of 2020. Wow. If I had known, you know, yeah. two years earlier that I was leaving the president of distribution at the Walt Disney Company and a four-year contract that I had to ask Bob Iger to allow me to exit wow. Three and a half years early, if I'd have known that uh, this adventure we were going to have in building this company and uh, what I thought was going to be, you know, us doing it for the rest of our lives only had a two year shelf life. Right. I probably wouldn't have made the leap. Now, I'm still happy that I did. There's so much abundance and goodness and growth and and hardship and a whole host of other things yeah. that came out of the decision to make that big leap. And I actually, I, I get the question a lot, like, oh, well, do you do you wish you hadn't left? Or are there parts of you that has like regret almost for having made the choice? And there isn't, there yeah. isn't a single day where I'm like, you know what I wish is that I was still wearing a tie and a belt that matched my shoes and that suit, um, <laughs> because there is something that's been so liberating and freeing in getting to pursue this work outside of a corporate environment yeah. that allows me to, in one hand, 
hold a bunch of respect and reverence and appreciation for every single thing that came in those two decades of time inside of entertainment. And also gratitude for all that has been learned, even if it's been unbelievably hard, totally unpredictable, so many identity shifts and so many challenging things, because I am fundamentally a different person than I was on May 30th of 2020 or May 30th of 2018. And thank God for that. Yeah. I mean, it's been incredible to see. And again, like I said, I'm not some social media stalker that's like following everything that Dave Hollis is doing, but I have seen just your complete persona and soul and everything about you evolve multiple times in a very short amount of time. And it's all always appeared so authentic. You have always come across so Mm -hmm. authentically. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's, gosh, there's got to be this period of discernment. Like I'm even wondering from like my own beliefs and, and the way that I live my life and even my spiritual side is like, you take this leap of faith, you, you kind of follow this calling to leave this corporate job to pursue impact and, and changing the world and to do this thing with your wife. And like, that's got to feel in the moment, like you are following the call. And then there's got to be this time where you're like, whoa, this is not where I thought this was going to lead. And so even from my perspective, talking to you, it's like, well, I feel like, gosh, it was so it's part of it was so intended. And I'm not saying, a, a you know, marriage breaking up is intended, but, you know, I mean, have you like thought about that? Like, all the time. All the time, right? All the time. I mean, so the, the first thing that comes to mind is I think we mis- make a mistake when it comes to prayer. And that is, I think we think I will pray uh, fervently and frequently and on my knees and in nature and I'll scream it and I'll whisper it. And then because of how I have been so good at praying, my prayers will be answered in a way that I hope that they will be answered. Mm-hmm. And that's not how prayer works. Right. We because have to let go of all that. We just, yeah, yeah. so many yeah. of the things that I prayed for absolutely came to pass. But this isn't Burger King. I don't get it my way. Right. right. And the, you know, kind of whether it's a Garth Brooks song and unanswered prayers yes. or it's just this appreciation that. Uh, we, God bless us, and our ego and all of what we think of what we know best, there are just far greater forces that have such broader perspective on what we actually need in the answering of prayer. And sometimes that answering of prayer has shown up in something very meaningful in my life, needing to die, Mm -hmm. pulling me just like straight to my knees. And I don't like pain. I don't like discomfort. I don't like grieving. And yet some of what gets built is not in spite of, but because of the experience of that death and rebirth and that death and rebirth. I mean, I'll jump ahead just for a second. Like I'm in this very interesting season right now where I very intentionally kind of pulled back in 2022 Mm -hmm. and what I'm realizing is that, and this is, it's, it's, I'm in a season where it feels very hard, but it feels very important. Mm. I grew up with 
achievement as the vehicle to being loved. Yes. If I could I score the goal, that. memorize the verse, get the good grades, you know, whatever it was, then I would be seen and in being seen, be appreciated in a way that gave me value. It gave me worthiness. Mm -hmm. And that is beautiful. Can I ask you a question about that from my own personal experience? Because I have that same story and I look back at my upbringing and my parents didn't put that on me. You know, they didn't love me because I achieved, but I was such an achiever as a child that I kind of fell into, you get a lot of attention, you get a lot of praise, you get, you know, just from society So I feel like I kind of created that myself that I have to achieve to feel worthy. I have to achieve to get love. I bet it's, I bet it's a little bit of both for you. I think it's a little bit of both for everyone because our family of origin Mm -hmm. has such an impactful imprint on how we are. And it may not be intentional that achievement was something that had you the recipient of love from those you craved it. But there, there's something in the mix that exists yeah. when you have an achiever created out of you know, out of some kind of dynamic inside a family. Yeah. And I, I have unbelievable parents. I have unbelievable parents. They're amazing. And as the oldest of four that were born in seven years, I mean, wow. like right on top of each other, we had, you know, a, a bunch of kids. I was put in situations to be older than my age. Mm. That is just part of what it means to be the oldest of four. Right. We've got, you know, a you know, a stay-at-home mom and a contractor dad in a kind of modest house that uh, had me having to pick up and become a little bit of an older kid. And I think, you know, just like irrespective of intention, mm-hmm. um, some of those things are born. Now, here's the thing, I'm gonna say it like. I built a great career inside of those 20 years in in entertainment. And that career in many ways was driven by this deep desire to be loved. And so thank you to family of origin or society or to whatever it is for having created that edge of the double-edged sword. Yes. What's been interesting in this last year is I am attempting to be present to loving myself without status, Mm. without applause, without book sales, without like, I'm, you know, I'm still doing work, but I'm doing it in ways that are intentionally trying to be a little less public facing. Yes. And after having had some interesting experiences where a title on a business card or a salary level or being a part of the academy or whatever it might be, in some ways gave me a belief in myself or a love for myself because of the echo of someone else's praise. Yeah. In the absence of that, can I still believe myself to be worthy and enough and loved? And I'm getting better. And I also (laughs) cry every once in a while because- we're all, I think, trained in some ways to believe that our enoughness is a contingent thing yeah. on achievement. And if Absolutely. the achievement doesn't exist, that maybe we aren't good or worthy or enough in the first place. And so, um, I don't know, it's like you're catching me on a very interesting day where like, yeah. I'm, I've got a day today. I am going yeah. through really this like 
this this like belief that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and processing what I am processing in real time to understand that if if I don't if I don't crack the nut on loving myself without applause, without a relationship, without status, without book sales, uh, I'm gonna have a an unhappy rest of my life. Yeah. And but it doesn't I mean, mean I have to applaud you. Not many people ever at any age, let alone, I mean, I still think we're kind of young. 47. <laughs> I am yeah, I'm, I'm 40, in the... I'm 45. I got it. Yeah. But I'm I young, still I'm think young at heart and in great shape, but I also like I got a lot of life to live. Yeah. I mean, like, I got the I got the second half of my life coming right? up. But and... I don't even think most people, especially men, are ever really spending the time to peel the onion on that, you know? So I applaud you really, truly. And I also am wondering, like, what does that process look like? Like, are there things that you're doing? Are there, you know, practices that you're going through? Like, because sometimes I've Mm -hmm. been at places in my life where I'm like, I want to get to the bottom of this, or I want to work on this. And you're kind of sitting there like, how do I do that? You know? Well, I mean, one of the things that I'm trying to do is to put myself into situations that I do not immediately excel at for the opportunity to develop mastery through effort. Mm. And so the example I think I would give is, this is going to sound crazy, but I signed up for a fitness competition, like a physique competition. Let's put some tanning oil on this tall guy (laughs) and uh, parade him out on stage and have him flex muscles. And it was uh, about a nine month process of, um, and again, a process that I will say, had I known what I was getting into at the beginning, I'm not sure I would have signed up for it because (laughs) it was wildly more work and more discipline and more trusting a process and um and was and was like a pro- provocateur of so many insecurities and yeah. a whole host of things but in doing it like the the <laughs> the, the biggest way to try and you know create something in self love comes through integrity just you know yeah. doing what you say you're going to do when you say yes. you're going to do it and that exercise of signing up for this thing required yeah. that when I said I was going to work out or eat off this plan or not drink or whatever it was, like I had to be disciplined yeah. because the evidence of my lack of discipline would be completely on stage available for anyone and everyone to see. But it wasn't even so much about what I looked like to them. Yeah. It was about how I might feel having pride in knowing that I did every single thing I possibly could to show up well for myself, keeping those promises, because that is a vehicle for dignity. It's a, it's a right. vehicle for self-respect. It's a vehicle for self-love. Um, the other thing that I do in real time, like I am really big on community with people who can um, remind me of who I am when I start to forget or remind me of the like kind of create objectivity for some of the ridiculousness that I might give weight to. Yeah. Um, I've got a great friend, this guy, John Acuff. <clears throat> he's been uh, a regular guest on yeah. Instagram, but um, he's just one of the most generous friends I've ever had. Yeah. I love and that. he's the kind of guy that we just will get on the phone and I can like nakedly represent. Yeah. Here's what I'm looking through. Here's what I'm struggling with. 
He can give me a good word on behalf of God. He can give me a good word on behalf of the work that he's doing that I also dabble in. Like having community with other people yeah. that can normalize some of what it is that you're feeling, offer resources to continue to move forward. That's everything. I got a mastermind that I'm heading to this weekend and I'm just super excited about it. And it also is a really interesting thing to the last time I went, I was about to release my second book. I had so many things kind of in the hopper. And I'm walking in this time more a student interested yeah. in inspiration for other people who have found a deep, deep connection to their purpose Yeah. so that I can, in my own kind of, all right, what is the best exploitation of these gifts mm -hmm. so that I can, in using my purpose, have maximum impact? And I'm, I'm asking that question while at the same time struggling a little bit with... Yeah. There are some components of public life. There are com some components of social media that have not brought the best out of me, that haven't made me feel great about myself because right. of this interesting tug. When they applaud, I feel good. When they criticize, I feel bad. Like it Which comes is back so human, to, right? It's, it's so human. It's human. And I'm also on this mission to be so full of love for myself that it doesn't, that it doesn't matter which matter. way the wind is blowing. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I see that and I feel your energy about even, and correct me if I'm wrong, even walking into this mastermind, there's, you know, that you could be walking into this weekend and you don't have a big book launching. You don't have this big thing. You could be walking into that this weekend feeling very insecure and there probably was a point in your life where if the situation was the exact same and it was, you know, X amount of years ago, you would feel that way. But I feel like you're walking into that mastermind with your feet on the ground and your heart in the right place with, and it almost feels, and I'm speaking for myself here, but when you get to that place where I think you start to feel worthy for yourself and you start to feel love for yourself, that it's almost like a maturity that you feel. You yeah, know? well, I, I will tell you the way I would have walked in years ago is fronting, yeah. representing that everything was awesome and look how great things are. And it's not to say that things aren't great. I have, I just, I have so many things to be grateful for, right. but I also know that every single time that when I ask the question, how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself, Dave, if I was representing good when there was struggle, the right. dissonance between what I was curating and what I was actually experiencing was the source of my discontent. And yeah. so I'm I, I, I'm at a place where I just I have a peace with, oh, I have good to offer. I am gonna have impact. I know that you know the work that I'm already doing is affecting people. And also, I've got a lot more to give. I just need to spend a little bit of time with people to remind me how to tap into it right. in the healthiest ways possible, in the most yeah. effective ways possible. And I mean, these are people that, you know, beyond having created unbelievable businesses are just, they're the people that I call yeah. when I'm having a hard day to help encourage me or remind me of all the good that exists. So um, I walk in, I, you know, truly, this is like a, a, a shout out for community you know, you, you can't, you can't get through life alone because right. life is stinking hard. And so 
um, you know, find your people and then yeah. you know, make sure you create some intentional time to be with them so that you can be poured into. Yeah. And I think, you know, the coolest thing about kind of being in this personal growth world is for the most part, people in the personal growth world are very real. You know, they're, when you start to have friendships in those circles of people that, you know, we used to think hung the moon and we used to, you know, from the outside looking in everything, we think they're doing it all perfectly. They've got it together every day. And when you start to develop those friendships, you realize they are as normal as can be. They have their ups and downs. They share their hard times. They share their struggles. And it kind of gives you permission to be human too. Oh, it's it's like it's the greatest. One of the people that'll be there is has become just a dear friend. Her name's Mel Robbins. I'm sure people know uh, who she is. If you don't, yes. look her up. She's amazing. The if thing you don't, I don't know where you're living. Under where have you one been? Rock. <laughs> yeah, get, on, get out, get out from under the rocks, people. Um, yes. But the thing I admire most about her, and that I want to emulate most in the way that she shows up, is that the way that you get her in the living room of her house on a stage at a convention, in a mastermind setting, uh, wherever. It is the exact same. She just is who she is. She is unapologetic, not in like a in-your-face disrespectful way. It's just, this is me. And what, you know, if if there's a, a thing that's been a learning in these last handful of years, you know, social media is great and it's baloney. (laughs) Right. You know, yeah. the, the ability to curate uh, a, a highlight reel or the, the kind of vision of things being awesome um, is a thing that anyone can do and is yeah. not always the best representation of what's really going on. And me being in a place where if I'm going to have a conversation about what's going on, I'm going to let you know that, yeah, uh, I cried earlier today. It happens. It happens because it's a Wednesday and (laughs) I'm comfortable processing emotions when I have a conversation with a therapist. Like it's like it's it's a super okay kind of thing. And I would rather kind of own the humanness that is the journey to normalize it and normalize Normalize it it, for God's sakes. We all need a therapist. (laughs) Well, I think in part, too, like it's it is the thing that ends up, to your point, giving permission for other people to feel like they also um, are okay or normal if they're feeling the things that they're feeling. Um, and and it's, a, it's a connector because yeah. everyone is that way. Like if you've put anyone on a pedestal, uh, I'm sorry to like, you yeah. know, spoiler alert, break your heart, yeah. but they aren't, they aren't without their own issues. They aren't without their own problems. They have feelings yeah. and insecurities and imposter syndrome and everything else that you also suffer from. Yep. And the more that you can kind of gravitate towards people that represent the full spectrum of all of what it means to be human, the more that you aren't going to feel like there must be something wrong with you because right. you don't operate at a level like this person that you've Again, put on a pedestal that I'm going to argue they probably don't necessarily deserve. Right. Every single day. Yeah. And I think that's kind of to pivot just a little bit. That's kind of one of like the secrets to success is when you can normalize others that you want to emulate, you know, when you can kind of pull back the curtain on that. I know for me, that was a real mindset shift to, you know, there was such this huge gap between my insecurities that were so overwhelming. And then all of these people I had on pedestals that I thought did it all perfectly. And when you really start to study these people or just dig into these people and and listen to them more on podcasts on YouTube, and you're like, oh, 
oh, they don't know what the hell they're doing either. You know, they're, they're just doing it. I need to start doing it. And that's kind of one of the first ways out of the gate to, you know, people are always like, how do you have the success? How do you have the confidence? I'm like, I don't, you know, I just, I just show up anyway and fail my way forward and figure it out as I go. And that's what everybody's doing out there. They just get Absolutely. better as they're doing it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I think, there are certainly, you know, people who have some predisposition to be good at one yeah. thing versus another, but anyone that you admire wasn't good at the thing that you admire them for doing at the beginning. They yeah. just decided to stick with it and reframe the way failure was just information instead of yeah. some indictment on their ability to do it or their, you know, invitation to keep going. They just, they just decided to keep going. Yeah. And so if there's anything to learn from anyone you admire, it's that, they too started with the first day. They too yep. made a ton of mistakes. They too learned from a bunch of stuff that was probably embarrassing or frustrating or provoked their own insecurities. And they are who they are now because they decided to not let those things tell them that they couldn't do it. They learned from it. They just kept yeah. going. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, I was going to say what's next for Dave Hollis, but I think you're figuring that out, right? <laughs> I am figuring that. I mean, there's uh, the next of a fitness challenge string that I've been doing with Heidi yeah. starting up here on Monday. So, and I uh, love her. Know, She's that, so great. Her energy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What an amazing human. Yeah. I mean, talk about communities. There's, there's something so beautiful about being inside of these fitness communities because of this invitation to come exactly as you are. Yeah. Where, um, if you're looking for encouragement, fantastic. There's a community there to say that you are absolutely good, worthy before you start moving that body, before you do a stinking yeah. thing. Um, but it also comes with just a ton of um, other people lifting you up and encouraging you in a way that yeah. uh, also kind of doubles as accountability. And yeah. so, um, you know, in a world where this last year for me was a, an interesting year, to say the least, being inside of those communities was one of these things where, man, I can walk in, I can be myself, yeah. I can own when I'm having a hard day or I'm working on something. And, uh, you know, if if not a fitness community, uh, find a church, find yeah. an AA yeah. room, find, like find something yes. that you can walk into as your whole messy self. Yes. So that you can be seen and celebrated exactly and as loved. you are. Yeah. And, and loved and loved. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got that and I'm 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 working on another book. Yeah. I'm doing my podcast that comes out on Thursdays each week called Rise Together. So yes. I'm working on a few different things. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I do want to circle back one question that I forgot because I was so intently listening. So one thing you kind of glossed over because of your growth journey, it's like you get it, but I think a lot of people don't, is this you know, desire to cultivate self-love, this desire to cultivate, you could say confidence or worthiness. And I remember for me, it being like this huge epiphany, because I remember feeling like, how do I get more self-esteem? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, is there a book on that? Like, I don't know how you do it. Like I'm, I'm ready for it. I want it, but how do I do it? And somewhere along the way, I figured out like, oh, you keep your promises to yourself. Like it is that simple, right? But with my driven type A crazy personality, it can definitely lend itself towards perfection. And so you have this great experience of going through this fitness competition. Just like you said, you had to be so dialed in and accountable and 
you know, diligent, but there's also that double-edged sword of, you know, not giving your, where you could enter into not giving yourself grace, not giving yourself self-compassion. So how did you handle that through that? And how do you handle that? Because I think there's a very fine line there. Well, I think the only measure for success throughout the process was the way I would feel about myself knowing whether or not I gave all of what I suggested I would give. Mm. And so, I mean, let's be clear. I got to the competition. It was so overwhelming emotionally Mm. because I'm walking into a room, 500 people in the audience. I get backstage. These people are fit. Of course they are. They're at a bodybuilding competition. (laughs) And as I get lined up. And this is like their life for probably the last decade, at least. Yeah. And this is the point, right? And this is the point. So I I get lined up and I am um, so proud driving over of the transformation that has taken place in these nine months because Ah. of the work that I put in and I get backstage and it is immediately deflated because Mm -hmm. I start comparing myself to the other people in my heat. Well, it's a competition I'm going to be compared. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got the greatest gift as I was standing there waiting for our group to be called out on stage. I just started a conversation with the guy standing in front of me. And he said, uh, how long have you been doing this? I said, oh, this is my first show. He's like, oh, my goodness, how amazing. I remember my first show. How cool. Just savor every single bit of it. You are never going to forget this. Enjoy this experience. This is my seventh year doing this. And I have now done 46 shows. I just, I love it so much. And I was like, oh, what a blessing that you get to remind me that I am in the first chapter of a story that has not yet, you know, even determined how many chapters it will have. And you were on your 46th. And what it did was instead of it being deflating, I mean, I'm, they didn't announce last place. I feel pretty confident that I got last place. And the thing is, I am just fine with it because it yes. wasn't what I was placing. It was about how I would feel about the effort I put in. Yeah. But and just getting I, outside your comfort zone and sticking with it till the end. I mean, oh, that is, talk about a confidence builder. That's like absolutely. a notch in the belt. That's amazing. But what it did truly is it it acted as motivation because it reminded me that, hey, you've given nine months to something that if you were to give it nine more months or nine more years, yeah, the kind of progress, the kind of results, the kind of feeling, the kind of, and it was, it's not even about look, it's about feel. Mm. Just how you would feel about yourself if you were to continue to be a promise keeper for a longer period of time. Yeah. Think about how much dignity you'll create for yourself. Think about how much self-respect you'll have. Think about how much love you will inevitably have, not for the results, Right. But for the process of having been in integrity with who you said you were going to be when you said you're going to be him. Gosh, okay, let's go. Yeah, I love that too, because it's almost like we as adults don't ever give ourselves that time and that space to explore, right? Like, I'm going to pick up the guitar for nine months and stick with it for nine months. And at the end of nine months, I might love it and continue, or I might be like, this is totally not my jam. No pun intended. You know, it's like, we need to do more of that as adults. Absolutely. You know, the interesting thing too, is people are desperate for purpose Mm -hmm. and it, you know, like if you just have to kind of follow it downstream, like purpose comes out of passion 
And passion ends up coming out of some on-ramp of curiosity. Yes. And so, you know, when I start to feel stuck at any time in life, the thing that I try to remind myself to do is to stay curious. Like, Mm. just keep dipping your toe into the waters of some different things. Inevitably, if something ends up lighting you up, pull on that thread. Because there's a chance that that curiosity will give way to passion. The passion could ultimately lead to something in purpose where now you're taking some gift that you've developed a little mastery around and using it in the service of others to have some impact. That's where purpose comes together. And I think you're missing a P. I think there's potential in there too. You oh, know, for sure. Somebody once told me that because, you know, it's like, how do we find our purpose? Such a, you know, giant question that so many people ask. And I was talking to a coach one time and they were like, well, everybody's purpose is just to live into their potential. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's it. It can be so much more simplified instead of trying to find this one narrow path that's going to become the thing that we do for the rest of our lives. It's like, no, it's getting curious and I love, I love the visual that you just gave of like just pulling the threads and kind of seeing if it's the thing for you and driving down that road. And, you know, then we get to possibly find yeah. our passion, possibly Maybe. decide yeah. to live into our potential. And then that really does become our purpose. Yeah. Oh, so good. So it's good. there for us all. We just have to be brave enough to try some new things. Yes. And uh, be willing to not be good at the beginning of trying those new things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's sometimes the hardest part. I mean, I'm the type of person that's like, if I'm not the best, I don't want to play. And (laughs) I have like had to hammer that out of me as an adult, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is real. It's real. When you're in a, when you've achieved a lot, it's very hard as an adult to go back to the beginning. I've wanted to, you know, become a really good surfer for a long time, but I'm not, but I'm terrible. Therefore, I don't do it. I'm like, this is so insane. And so I had to, re- I had to make it my goal that I was just going to get in the water. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it doesn't matter if I catch a wave. It doesn't matter if there are waves. I just have to get in the water because guess what? Getting in the water makes me happy. Yeah. And when we're happy, everything changes. So you good. Know? So yeah. good. Get in the water, people. Get in the water. Get in the water. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time and just your energy and your presence. I mean, I am telling you from my heart to yours, you are such a shining example of just living the most authentic life in the most beautiful way, especially as a man out there in the world. It's just, it's beautiful to see. And I know that you admire Mel a lot and you were like, you know, I want to emulate her. And I couldn't help but thinking, I think you're the male Mel Robbins. Oh, (laughs) Ah, how dare you? But really there is such a similarity there with how you guys show up and how you show up to the world. So it is very, very appreciated. That is high praise. I will take it. I receive those. Now, Absolutely. Moira, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate your time and the uh, ability to reach out and have some time with your audience. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much. I hope you have a great weekend at the Mastermind and I can't wait to see what comes next. Right on. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Bye. Mm, you guys, what a light. What a light for the world and a life that was too short in my book for sure 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Share it with your friends. You know, this this conversation, these little nuggets of wisdom, they're, uh, they're meant to be shared and the world needs it. So that's it for me today. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.